Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Gazette horse racing writer Mike McGadam makes his weekly appearance to talk Saratoga horse racing. And I'll speak with Steve Baker, the former Union College hockey and New York Rangers goalie, about his involvement with Three Ice Hockey, which wraps up its inaugural season on Saturday. So if you heard the opening, you heard something a little bit different from my uh, good friend Scott Giese. No longer is the uh, title associate sports editor next to my name. Now I am the sports editor of the Daily Gazette. The news was made official Monday night. Um, Michael Kelly, who has been done a terrific job as a sports editor since taking over for Mark McGuire in uh, the late summer t- 2018, is moving up to director of content for the newspaper. Uh, Adam Schinder is the new deputy director of content. Uh, Adam, sports writer who joined the Gazette in 2020 when the Gazette acquired uh, the Recorder uh, paper. And uh, Indiana Nash will take over as the uh, features editor. But for me, I never, never, never in my life expected to uh, be in this position. I mean, uh, this is my second stint at the Gazette. I worked uh, for for the Daily Gazette from August 1990 until uh, September of 2017. I moved over to uh, WRGB Channel 6 as the uh, news uh, content editor there. Uh, I spent 10 months there. And uh, you get sometimes you in this business, you never know what's going to happen. And uh, you know, one day, Mark McGuire, who was the executive sports editor uh, of the Gazette, gave me a call and asked me if I was interested in coming back and uh, maybe serving as associate sports editor. And I said, sure, and uh, happily came back to the paper I Really didn't want to leave back in 2017, but, uh, you know, circumstances beyond my control. And But uh, everything worked out, and I think the one key lesson here uh, for you up, inspiring, up-and-coming journalists, never burn any bridges. Never burn any bridges, because if you do that, you're never going to, you know, you know, get back in good graces with uh, the people you worked with. And I work with amazing people here at the Gazette. Miles Reed uh, does a great job running this newspaper, and just all the colleagues I've had, like I said, Adam Schinder, Mike McAdam. Uh, Will Springstead, who recently joined the newspaper, uh, Stan Hooty, uh, Paul Wager. Uh, we just have an outstanding staffing. Of course, you know, some of our, our you know, correspondents like Bill Buell, Jim Schultz um, do a great job, and uh, James A. Ellis with the uh, uh, racing uh, auto racing column with the st- following the stock car. So it's an honor and a privilege, and uh, I, I just harken back to the days um, – when I first started in this business back in November of 1983, I uh, was taking a journalism class at York College of Pennsylvania in my junior year. Uh, I was a speech communications major, which is a fancy way of saying a four-year radio television degree. I was heavily heavily involved in the radio station, uh, AM program director, sports director, calling uh, basketball games and baseball games on our college radio station, WVYC. Um, but uh, I was journalism class. It was you know something I took my junior year. It was taught by two members of the York Daily Record, uh, Gary Duttery and uh, Jack Tobias. And uh, one of the requirements of it was to do a one-day internship at the paper. And uh, I did my internship was a one uh, covered the Baltimore Orioles playing a charity basketball game in Southern York County. This was right after they had 
won the 1983 World Series against my Philadelphia Phillies, which, yeah, I, I, I could have been bitter about it and really given some, <laughs> some crap, but I did not. I just I talked to several players and went back, wrote a story, and the sports editor at the time, Steve Greenberg, liked it and said, you want to you want to do some part-time work? And I said, asked, do I get paid? He said, yes. And I said, yes. So uh, I, I, I start, really got my start there. Uh Covered a lot of you know, high school games, and I also covered some amateur baseball leagues. Uh, there's two amateur baseball leagues in York County, uh, the Central League and the Susquehanna League, which is the, just like uh, what we have here in Albany with the Albany Twilight League. And I covered the Susquehanna League, and I, I enjoyed covering that. It was a lot of fun covering amateur baseball. Uh, I added more responsibilities, clerking duties, uh, you know, taking calls over the phone and doing some rewrites and uh, it turned out to be you know, a 30-hour-a-week job plus doing the correspondent. And I was doing this while in college and was getting a lot of experience. And then uh, shortly after I graduated in 1985, Ron Kirk was the was sports editor at the time. And I had applied for a full-time position after a writer left, and I did not uh, get the position. And I was disappointed, but I you know, still had a you know, good, good, decent job. And, uh, and then Ken Rosenthal. Yes, that Ken Rosenthal. He worked at the York Daily Record, a uh, great writer, and uh, he left to go to uh, Camden, New Jersey, for the uh, Courier Post, and they were looking for another sports writer. I did not apply because I figured, you know, I got rejected once. Why do I get rejected again? Well, Ron called me into uh, a meeting room, and we sat down and says, why have you, haven't you applied for the job? And I said, I said, because I got rejected before and thought I'd get it rejected again. And he said, you're getting the job. You, I want you. And that started everything on my road to a sports writing career. And uh, I took over the Hershey Bears beat in uh, 1985 and covered that for five years. I covered the Harrisburg Senators Eastern League uh, for uh four years and that that was a lot of fun and uh, being a part of that staff and uh, some of the fun times we have and great co-workers that I had and um, Ryan left uh, a couple years later and a gentleman by the name of Steve Zients came along and he became sports editor and he wanted me to you know learn how to you know lay out the paper because his and this is you know funny because I, I he said because they knew the computer system well the computer system back then was kind of ancient uh, and we they were just breaking they were only the pagination wasn't there yet. we had a composing room and stuff like that and I I the pressure I put myself under was just intense I really you know went crazy sometimes and one night I was so frustrated with what was going on in the composing room that I threw a pen from the uh, from the composing room halfway to where my desk was, and my uh, and Steve was uh, sitting there, and I almost clipped him in the ear. I think he said thought at that point maybe uh, him being a layout guy is not good for him and his health. So uh, I you know, did stay, got away from doing that for a while, and then uh, in uh, August 1990, uh, we had our paper, the Daily Record, had merged with uh, the York Dispatch and the business end of things, and we lost our Sunday newspaper. And my wife uh, had lost her job. She worked in advertising. So uh, an opportunity came here in uh, 1990 to uh, work for the Gazette. And I had known uh, Mike Kane and Bob Dittmeyer from the, the American Hockey League days when they were covering the Adirondack Red Wings. And it seemed like every year the Hershey Bears and the Adirondack Red Wings would be in the playoffs together. And I always enjoyed the ride up whenever I, they played in the playoffs. And uh yeah, Mike asked if I should apply. I applied, and Butch Walker, 
uh, to his credit, um, hired me, and uh, I ended up being the number two guy for at least a little while with the, the minor hockey league. If you remember, if you old timers remember back in 1990, there were three minor league hockey teams. Of course, you had the Adirondack Red Wings and Glens Falls. The International Hockey League uh, moved the Fort Wayne Comets to Albany for the Albany Choppers, and then the AHL countered by putting a team in Troy, the Capital District Islanders. Well, of course, midway through that 1990-91 season, the Choppers, who were not drawing anybody, not even flies, uh, they folded midway through the season. It was about that time that Union had announced uh, that their men's hockey program was going to be elevated from Division Three to Division One, starting with the 1991-92 season. And I was assigned to that, and I covered that wonderful. had a wonderful time covering that 25 years, and, of course, you know, accompanying with the national championship in 2014. And there were some changes after that, uh, my 25th season. And uh, uh, But uh, I came back. When I came back, I was going to be strictly doing layouts, and uh, I was fine with that. And, and of course, we acquired um, – Three quarter, and then right after that, we acquired the Leader Herald, and then uh, you know, so to my surprise, uh, last year, as I uh, was asked, did I want to cover college hockey again? And I said sure. So I was back on the Union beat last year, and uh, and I'm looking forward to another season of Union hockey um, with a new coach and uh, Josh Halji. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun, and um, I'm going to do my best to uh, uphold the. Traditions and the excellence of the Daily Gazette sports staff. And uh, uh, if you have any questions or anything like that, you can email me at shot at dailygazette.com. So I appreciate this opportunity. It's to me, like I said, nothing, something I've never expected. And the second stint here at the Daily Gazette has just been an an unbelievable adventure. I mean, I'm, I'm happy I'm here. And this is where I, I, I want to you know, work in a few more years. I mean, I'm 58 years old, turn, going to turn 59 in October. Um, you know, at least work another five years or so, I hope, and everything's going go, keeps going well. But um, it's it's an honor. It really is an honor to be able to do this. And uh, you know, I'll continue to cover as I cover Union Hockey. I'll continue to do the podcast. And I want to thank my good friend from you know, Scott Keezy, who I've known since our York College days in 1981. Uh, every, every time we seem to you know, chat with each other or email, we just crack each other up. Uh, Scott is a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, and I, he's a dear friend. And I, he... Uh, I do owe him some uh, dinners uh, when we get a chance to get down back to York, Pennsylvania one of these days. But uh, thank you, Scott, for doing this again. Uh, you're the best. And uh, for the uh, people that read our paper, um, you're the best as well. And I appreciate you and uh, you know, look forward to uh, serving you uh, and, and how our staff serving you as well. So we're going to keep up the great work that we do here, and uh, we appreciate that. Well, coming up, Mike McGannon will join me to talk uh, Saratoga horse racing. Uh, you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hey, Saratoga horse racing fans. You have a chance to win a $50 gift card to a Daily Gazette advertiser by playing the Gazette Saratoga Pick 7. Here's what you do. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Racecourse and win the $50 gift card. To play, go to www.dailygazette.com slash pick7 and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. The Saratoga Pick 7 contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department.
Welcome back to the podcast. Week five of the Saratoga horse racing season is in the books, and week six starts Wednesday. To give us a lowdown on what's happening at Saratoga is the Capital Region's premier horse racing writer, the Gazette's Mike McAdam. Mike, welcome back, and how are things up at Saratoga? Um, pretty good. It's uh, nice to have a couple days off and not have to go up there because um, uh, it gets to be a little bit of a grind, but I'm not complaining because, I, you know, I, a couple times every meet I walk in there and I say, wow, they paid me to be here. That's That doesn't suck. So, um, But things are going good. I, it, we've got a tremendous relief in the weather after having, I don't know, it seemed like a week and a half of 90-degree days you know, back to back to back with no relief. And last week was absolutely a pleasure to be there just from a weather standpoint. Uh, I haven't looked at the forecast this week, but right now it's pretty nice uh, as we speak. And uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how long this uh, paradise uh, continues. But in the meantime, you know, I got some decent racing lined up uh, this weekend. Certainly one one of the highlights of the meet coming up with the Alabama. Yeah. Um so we can talk about those things. Okay, let's start. <laughs> let's start with the last weekend. The highlight was the Mayor Regal Glory running in the uh, Grade One Four Star Dave. She ran well, but uh, Casa Cree was much the best. And that result does that leave a lot of questions for both camps moving forward? Yeah, um, Regal Glory ran well. Um, she didn't, you know, she showed up. So, and then there's no um, dishonor in losing to a very interesting, good, hard-knocking horse like Casa Creed, who has, you know, run in some tough stuff, and, and he shows up in the big races. Um, uh, Regal Glory was still fighting at the end. She finished a length and a half behind, um, you know, her first loss of the year. Um, as far as questions moving forward, uh, the four-star day was a mile, and it was a win in your end for the Breeders' Cup mile, um, you know, which is a mile on the turf. And we, we can start with Casa Creed. Um, I, I think the question for them right now is, do we run in the Breeders' Cup mile, which they've qualified for already, or do they run in the Breeders' Cup turf sprint? which um, Casa Creed, his Breeders' Cup history over the last couple of years was he finished eighth, wasn't really a factor in the Breeders' Cup mile last year when it was at Del Mar in California. And then in 2020, he also hit that spot, Breeders' Cup mile, and he was 12th, a non-factor, six and three-quarters lengths back. Um, so maybe he should... Be, they, they should be thinking about sticking in the turf sprint instead. Problem there is because they're running at Keeneland in, in Lexington, Kentucky this year, Keeneland is a smaller track, which means the Breeders' Cup, when they run the turf sprint, it's five and a half furlongs. It was very short, and I'm looking at PPs for uh, Casa Creed right now. I can't see the last time he ran shorter than six furlongs. So I don't know if that five and a half furlongs short distance there might lead them to lean toward the Breeders' Cup mile. So they're, they're going to have to figure that out. But in the meantime, they have a very good horse who's in tremendous form. They, uh, trainer Bill Mott was saying afterwards, the horse had not been leading into the four-star Dave, had not been training any better and had done a great job of absorbing an overseas trip to Saudi Arabia and Dubai in February and March to run in a couple of the big cards there, um, sprint races. One, um, the turf sprint on the Saudi Cup card was less than seven furlongs. 
Yalquaz sprint on Dubai World Cup day in March with six furlongs, and he did he did okay in the Saudi race. He finished second by a neck. He was fifth in the um, Dubai race, but he came back. You know, a lot of times you hear trainers say, "Ah, you know, we want to go to Dubai because the purses are insanely humongous." Um, but we're worried about how long it's going to take them to recover from that transatlantic trip and being in the desert and, you know, how they handle all those things. Is it going to, like, screw them up for a few months when they get back here? And apparently in the case of Castle Creed, that absolutely was not a, a factor at all. He came back, you know, guns a-blazing. Granted, he did get a break from March and didn't run again until the Jaipur at, um, on Belmont Stakes Day, and he won that race, grade one at six furlongs. Um, so they stretch him out to a mile in the four-star day if he wins. And they, they got a distance question that they need to answer between now and November when they get to Keeneland. But it's a good position to be in because he's he looks like a, a, a player in either one of those. One thing Bill Mott mentioned was the turf condition in the fall will be a little softer side if they get, you know, we get some kind of weather, which um, might you know, kind of screw up Casa Creed a little bit. Um, meanwhile, Regal Glory again, she ran great for um, Chad Brown. It was the first time she ever ran against males. I don't think that was a factor. I mean, she she fit in this race. She was a deserving favorite, and she just got beat by a, a really good horse who's in great form right now. So no no shame at all in finishing second in the four-star Dave. Um, moving forward, the mile is her distance. I mean, this is her wheelhouse. So I think they're, they're dialed into um, the Breeders' Cup mile, working backwards from there, unless they want to take a swing at the um, billionaire turf, which I think at Keeneland would be a mile and an eighth. Um, and Chad's got a bunch of them that are going to be in that race, including an Italian who won the Diana at a mile and an eighth earlier than me. So I think they're, you know, I haven't talked to Chad since, um, Saturday. So I don't know what they're thinking moving forward, but got to be a little bit of question. Um, but I think the, her, the mile is her distance and she ran well. So it seems like they would probably stay, um, you know, headed, headed toward the Breeders' Cup mile. Well, let's look at you mentioned uh, the Alabama this uh, this weekend. The three-year-old fillies hold the spotlight, and it's going to be a rematch between Nest and Secret Oath in the Alabama. Of course, Nest dominated the Coaching Club America Oaks, and there's little doubt she'll be very tough to beat in the Alabama. Yeah, um, I mean, a mile and a quarter is going to be right in her wheelhouse. She finished second in the mile and a half Belmont Stakes running against males, and with ran a very good race there in the Belmont. So this mile and a quarter, she's, she's going to eat this for breakfast. Um, Secret Oath is a big question mark just because um, she did get beat so badly by over 12 lengths by Nest. And we were really looking forward to the Coaching Club American Oath because it was going to be, at the time, Secret Oath, I think, could legitimately state claim as the best three-year-old filly in the country with Nest very, you know, breathing down her neck and then Nest clearly was the best in that race and is clearly the best filly in that division right now um trainer d wayne lucas who um who trained secret oath said afterwards he he thinks that horses like her who ship in from kentucky need a race over the saratoga track which can be pretty demanding and different from you know what she's used to which is mostly churchill downs and oakland park and so he thinks 
she'll benefit a lot from having run a race over the track. Um, that said, Ness looks like a beast, and Secret Oath could run her eyeballs out on Saturday, and she's going to be very hard-pressed to beat Nest. A horse is in great form right now. I have a lot of respect for and um, is, is clearly the leader in the division. Is going to be difficult to beat in this distance of a mile and a quarter. She's going to gobble that up. I, you know, we haven't seen the draw yet, so we don't know who else is in there. I know Chad Brown has an interesting filly named Gerrymander who won the Mother Goose uh, at Belmont in June. Um, that was a mile and 16. She's never run longer than a mile and 16. So if she's in there, I guess she could be a factor, but the mile and a quarter has got to be a big question mark for her. Um, but right now it's Nest the one to beat. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we call it a rematch because that's what we do but really nest is is clearly the one to beat this time and it's not really like you're not anticipating the the, the tool that we were leading into the coaching club of american oaks you're, it's kind of like if secret oath shows up that would be fun but uh, i mean nest just looks like a beast right now yeah well, we're uh, just over a week away from the Traverse Stakes. Uh, it's uh, next Saturday, August 27th, and the field is starting to take shape, especially with the arrival of Kentucky Derby winner Rich Strike uh, on Sunday. Of course, it's going to be interesting to look at this you know, seven-horse seven horse field that might be shorter numbers but could offer some decent uh, betting value if you have a strong opinion about somebody. Of course, the draw will be at Tuesday, uh, August 23rd at 5.30 p.m. Uh, your thoughts about the Travers at this point? Um... Yeah, it's a pretty good field. They only had 12 nominations, and one of those is Nest, and we know she's not running in the Travers. So um, so they're a little short on nominations, but it's a solid field of seven that we know for sure are definitely pointing toward it. I mean, one of those other nominations might jump in there just for the heck of it, but they would be a long shot, whoever that would be. Um, so I'll just run down quickly. I mean, we'll go into this a lot more detail next week after we see the draw and we know exactly who's going to be in it. But based on intentions and what people have said, um, we're looking at three from Chad Brown. That would be Zandon, who was uh, second in the Jim Dandy, um, also third in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, we're looking at Preakness winner early voting from Chad Brown. He was a disappointing fourth in the Jim Dandy. Um, we're looking at Artorias, who won the Curlin pretty impressively, which is sort of like I've referred to it as the Island of the Misfit Toys, that race, because it's run at the same distance the day before the Jim Dandy. So it's kind of like these late bloomer, we don't know what we have here type of horses show up in there, and Artorias was very impressive in that race. Um, and then... Uh, Jim Dandy winner epicenter was second in the Derby and the Preakness. He'll be in there for trainer Steve Asmussen. Uh, Rich Strike, you already mentioned, uh, who since the Derby, winning the Derby was a um, pretty lousy sixth in the Belmont Stakes to Mo Donegal. Hasn't raced since. Um, then we have Charger from Todd Pletcher, who um, won the Dwyer at, at Belmont Stakes, which is considered kind of like a... Um, kind of a bridge to the Belmont Stakes, which he did not run in, by 23 lengths, which is just like, you know, that, that's almost a 16th of a mile ahead of the second-place yeah. finisher. Um, and then the last two are Cyberknife, who did a nice job winning the Haskell over Taba and Jack Christopher at Monmouth Park the week before the Jim Dandy. And um, kind of the outsider is Ain't Life Grand, um, which sounds like life is good, who's chasing a horse of the year uh, championship this year. But uh, this horse 
um, that, that's where the similarities end. Um, he, he, he's an, he's all Iowa. I mean, this horse has run almost all of his races at, in Iowa. He's Iowa bred. I can't remember the last time there was an Iowa bred who even ran in the Travers. Uh, he won the Iowa Derby and the, some Iowa Stallion stakes last time. So they're jumping in there. So they're, they're, they're looking to have a fun trip out here. I don't know what their expectations are, but he's going to be a big long shot. Um, so it's looking like those seven right now, that right now the wise guy buzz horses are, are, are Torius, who's the, the only run three times, but was very impressive in the curling. And Chad Brown had a lot of nice things to say about him afterwards and charge it who, um, you know, off of that 23 length win in the Dwyer is you got to take a second look at him. I have no idea what the, um, what the odds are going to look like. I think epicenter is the no brainer, favorite because he won the Jim Dandy and almost won the Derby in the Preakness. Um, so he's, he's the logical favorite. Um, but you know, it, it, it looks pretty evenly matched and it, and it might be, I'm expecting it to be a fun race to bet and handicap just based on the fact that everybody seems, you know, kind of have a legit chance at winning the thing early voting, excuse me early voting i think is a little suspect especially after he finished fourth in the jim dandy which is considered like a really important stepping stone to the travers but his workout last weekend convinced chad brown to throw him into the Travers. he said afterwards i needed to see a work like he had today for me to throw him into the travers and apparently he did that well enough that chad's gonna have three in there um so seven horse field really interesting field and again, I'm expecting Epicenter to be the morning line favorite, but I think the money's going to be spread out enough that if you really like somebody, maybe hammer that and uh, you'll, you'll get rewarded if the horse wins. But I think there's a bunch of different ways you can go right now. And then again, like I said, we'll, we'll get into more detail next week after we see the uh, the draw and everything and the, and the, the uh, odds and and uh, in the post because I don't know that the post position will really matter that much in a seven horse field because they break the starting gate is way way up the home stretch um, at a mile and a quarter so I don't think seven horse field the post position is really going to matter that much but pretty pretty interesting field for what we have um, at this time of year there's five horses in here ran in the derby three of them ran great in the derby and two of them charge it and uh um, cyber knife were terrible in the derby so um of course that was may <laughs> yeah. so a lot of things have changed between then and now and and uh so cool field should be a decent betting race for the travers and uh we'll, we'll see what they wind up uh throwing our way uh next tuesday when they draw the post positions yeah uh just one final news item uh D- jockey dylan davis got a week uh, off uh for uh, some bad riding what happened there um I did not see the race, and I was actually trying to pull up the replay, and I think they scrubbed it or something for some reason, which they, they'll do sometimes when there's, like, something bad happens. It's like a total PR move. Um, but it's pretty clearly he was he was on the outside, and he moved a couple pads in and went to the lead and wound up winning the race on a horse named Montatham in the seventh race last Wednesday. But in the process, he... He forced a horse ridden by Eric Consell to clip heels, and the horse fell down, and Eric Consell hit the deck. 
And, you know, it was a scary, dangerous situation. Nobody got hurt. The horse got up. Eric Consell got up and walked off on his own power. But the stewards banged Dylan Davis for a big seven um, seven racing days, which will fall over the course of seven calendar days starting Wednesday this week, August 17th. Um, so that's, that's a tough penalty for dylan davis who you know was having a decent meet and it's gonna really hurt him to lose seven racing days of business um the steward said it was they've already handed out two other suspensions for similar things earlier in the meet to two other jockeys but those were only three-day suspensions and and uh braulio baeza one of the stewards was quoted in daily racing form saying this one was more careless and dangerous than those that's why the penalty wasn't the same as the, the other two that happened earlier in the meet. So that's a big chunk of business out of um, Dylan Davis in a, in a unwanted vacation. But um, horse clips heels and falls down and throws the rider. You, I think you got to take a little extra consideration into the length of the penalty, and, and it looks like they did that. Yeah, you see a horse drop from first to last. It's like you, you kind of know something something serious happened. Yeah, well, that's pretty automatic. Um, they they usually, I mean, if it's like a, you know, occasionally you'll see a situation where a horse uh, interferes with another one and finishes second, and they finish second, third, where they might not necessarily throw the disqualified horse all the way to last place. Um, obviously, they did that with maximum security in the Kentucky Derby a couple of years ago, where he won it and wound up. Um, being disqualified to like 18th place i think it was which was last place um so sometimes that they won't drop them all the way to last place but this was bad enough where it was kind of like a no-brainer especially since dylan's horse won and like where do you put them i mean you can't like say well you know um you just got to throw them all the way to the back of the classroom yeah well mike appreciate it we'll look forward to next week talking travers and that's the highlight of the meet yeah, it's going to be fun. we got a good Alabama coming up this weekend. If nothing else, people will see, like, a really, really tremendous filly in Ness this weekend. If she if she crushes Secret Oath in the rest of the field again, you know, you can console yourself with the fact that you, you saw a horse, a filly, who was being considered for the Travers. That's how good she is. And, um, I mean, who knows? She could probably lock up an Eclipse Award if she wins the Alabama um, convincingly on Saturday. Well, follow Mike's coverage on Twitter at Mike underscore McAdam. Of course, at also at DailyGazette.com. And in the print edition, Mike, thanks. We'll do it again next week. Thanks a million, Ken. I'll talk to you next week. All right, that's Mike McAdam. The inaugural season of the Three Ice Hockey Tournament wraps up with its championship round on Saturday. I'll speak with Steve Baker, the former Union College Hockey and New York Rangers goalie, about his role in Three Ice Hockey. Next, here on the Parting Shots Podcast. track is your premier source of horse racing news and events from the daily newspaper of the saratoga race course the daily gazette at the track features racing tips feature stories picks by naira racing analyst anthony stabile and andy serling and direct links to naira bets check out at the track at www.dailygazette.com slash at the track
Welcome back to the podcast. Three Ice Hockey concludes its inaugural season Saturday with the Patrick Cup Championship starting at 4 p.m. Uh, in Las Vegas. It'll be televised by CBS. To talk about Three Ice's first season is the chief hockey officer of Three Ice and a former goaltender for Union College and the New York Rangers, Steve Baker. Steve, welcome to the podcast. And I know it's been a while since we chatted. I hope things are well. Everything is absolutely terrific, Ken, and it's always nice to talk to my friends back in Schenectady. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about this three ice concept. What, what I, mean, I know we, we a couple years ago you mentioned it, of course, the pandemic hit and all that stuff. But what has it been like? What was the genesis for this? Well, you know the the, uh, the NHL, of course, adopted the three on three overtime format back in two thousand and fifteen. And uh, for me, you know, having obviously, uh, you know, scouted as long as I did on a part-time basis for Tampa, I did that for 16 years on top of my real job as an executive in the media and sports marketing space, you know, put myself in an early grave. But that aside, um, you know, I I knew that, for example, the rookie camps were all being conducted with a three-on-three kind of um, opportunity and format. And the reason for that is, you know, obviously it allows the players to be much more creative, show that skill set, show the speed, show the stretch passing, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, young E.J. Johnston, uh, his father, of course, is a legend in the business. Um, His dad is our assistant commissioner with the league. His dad was many-year goalkeeper in the National Hockey League, uh, won a cup with uh, the Bruins back with Bobby Orr in those great days. And... um, you know, went on and became a general manager, actually drafted Mario Lemieux down in Pittsburgh. He's still working with uh, Pittsburgh as a uh, scout now. Um, you know, EJ was uh, with his dad uh, up in the stands, you know, Jimmy Rutherford, uh, Mike Sullivan, um, you know, you name it, Mario, etc. watching those rookie camps get conducted with three-on-three. And uh, EJ's background, he's been around, uh, you know, building actual uh, TV programs and things of that nature. He's been around the sports sales environment uh, with Fox Sports and IMG. And he said, you know what, there's something here. And I think that uh, it, it would be pretty exciting. And he started to, you know, put some flesh on the bone uh, at that point in time. Again, probably around, you know, mid-2015. We got together uh, shortly thereafter. And honestly, Ken, you know, with, with the emergence of COVID-19, you know, we had had some fits and starts with getting this thing going, uh, but we've been planning this for, you know, a good four years, and uh, we've got a a number of line extensions to the brand that we'll be looking to bring on. Uh, This is not a one-off, but uh, we're very, very excited as to what's transpired here in this first year. How has the uh, reception been for it? Because you you travel around the country, you go to different arenas, and I know you've been Pittsburgh, Hershey, Quebec City. Uh, what's, What's the reception been like? Yeah, it's been absolutely fabulous. You know, you get a chance to um, chat with the fans. Uh, they'll come up to you and they'll offer their opinions. Um, they love, you know, what we've done in terms of, you know, keeping the action going, keeping the flow going. Um, they love the competitiveness of the, having the tournament. They love the snackable nature of the way our games are played. We play halves. So uh, you buy a ticket to three ice during the course of the regular season, and you're going to see all six teams play. So you'll see three games Winners advance, and they'll have the one team that scores the most goals in that first round advances to the second round, and then winners advance to the championship. So they're going to see six games a night over a three-hour, three-hour and 15-minute window. And, you know, as you know, the betting side of things uh, on on the sports 
uh, betting has become a really big play. I think they're estimating it to be about a $280 billion business by 2025. Um, our format plays so very, very well uh, for fans to be able to be engaged from their seats, uh, betting on any number of different entities. And we're going through the process this year. We've actually contracted with Sports Radar as our integrity partner. And Sports Radar is putting all the uh, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's for us so that next year we can move forward with, you know, a, uh, you know, an MGM, a FanDuel, a DraftKings, whoever it is that we actually decide that we're going to move forward with as our betting partner uh, and start to tap into some of those revenues as well. So, you know, all in all, the fans love it. It's it's a younger, I think, crew than what you're going to see at an NHL game. I think the average NHL age is probably 49 now. Mm-hmm. But they're hockey fans, and then you're also getting some of the casual fans coming in and just enjoying the excitement and the speed of what's going on. And the nice thing about this, you know, you know, you know nobody's going to be playing for a shootout. <laughs> Sometimes they do an overtime in the NHL. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, John Tortorella made the comment, uh, forget about the shootout. Let them play three-on-three three until they die. <laughs> I'm not sure every coach and GM feels that way in every owner because obviously over the course of a long season, you know, you can wear your dogs down and they get tired enough just trying to jump into the tournament, into the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really a fun format. It opens the ice up. Uh, we allow uh, some of the smaller players uh, that uh, maybe are not as big boned and uh, as you may have to be to play at the NHL level over the course of that 82 game slate and the wear and the tear of going in the corners with some of these six six giants, you know, and having them grind you in and uh, run you into the wall. Uh, our guys uh, know that uh, you know we're a no check league, and uh, other than incidental angling off and what have you, they have the freedom and the ability to you know. Uh, distribute the puck and, and try try moves that you typically wouldn't see during the course of a, a regular NHL game. Yeah, well, I know uh, Peter MacArthur, who's uh, from Clifton Park and just was just named head coach of the uh, Adirondack Thunder, play is playing in this league and he's enjoyed the heck out of it. Uh, can you comment about Peter about his performance? Yeah, listen, I, I I push for Peter to get into the league. He was one of the original guys that I had on my list, and um, I actually got put back in touch with him uh, through an old friend who was an assistant general manager with the Lightning back when I was there, is Claude Loisel. Claude's up in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and Claude uh, recommended that I chat with Peter. It's funny because E.J. Johnson, who is our founder and CEO, actually plays competitive uh, roller hockey. It's pretty big in New York City, as you know. And, um, and he ran into uh, Peter's brother and had been playing competitively against Peter's brother. And I think Peter actually showed up for one game. And, you know, of course, the talent always jumps out at you. And EJ was like, wow, this guy's good. Uh, but I've been following Peter since he was playing at BU. And uh, the fact that uh, Joe Mullen, who, of course, is a Boston College guy and went on and had a wonderful career, uh, Joey picked him up on his club. I mean, they've, they ripped it up this year. I mean, from, from pillar to post, they've been like the lead dog in the league. And, and uh, they've got the number one seed here as we emerge from our playoffs this weekend. You have a lot of famous NHL players coaching. Uh, talk about them uh, who, and uh, what they've been. Have, have they enjoyed the experience? You know, absolutely. It's it's funny you get you get different comments from different guys. Um, I, I love Larry Murphy. Uh, you know, wonderful offensive, defensive NHL defenseman for many, many, many years. And uh, you know, Larry's just a funny guy. 
And, you know, he, he'll come up to me and he'll go, you know, Banks, he says, this, this coaching stuff is tougher than it looks, you know. And, uh, and I'll share some ideas, you know, with him. And he's going, geez, I never thought of that. That's great. You know, maybe I can put that in a place with my team. But he's had a very competitive club. Uh, he'll open up this weekend in game one against uh, Team Mullins. So they're going to have their, their hands full. They're the four seed. And then, of course, we've got Brian Trottier. You know, listen, when you mention his name, unfortunately, I played in New York with the Rangers when the Islanders were the, the wagon that they were. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't win a whole lot against them, but uh, he's such a wonderful guy, and uh, he's such an ambassador for the game. Um, he just loves to win, and he's so competitive. They, his club finished up second, um, and they'll be ready to go, guaranteed, this weekend. And then you've got, you know, John LeClaire. Um, my I flyers. Mean, you know, my but, flyers. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, he's the quintessential power forward, right? Yeah. I mean, he's a guy like, you know, the Kevin Stevens of the world. So many guys that you could get on the list, but, you know, one of those guys that's just, you know, power through, go to that wide post, and, uh, you know, you got a good centerman or a winger that could just distribute that puck's in the net nine times out of ten. And uh, he's just such a big man. He's, he's stronger than a garlic milkshake. So he's got his hands full, you know, with the number two seed with Trottier. And then to round out the coaching crew, you know, you've got Guy uh, Carboneau. Um, Guy is just, he was an outstanding player. I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to play against him uh, when he first started out in Nova Scotia in the American League and then moving up to the Canadians. He was just a wonderful talent there in, in Dallas. And then, of course, hey, you know, who can compare to Grant Fuhr? I mean, one of the most enjoyable goaltenders ever in the history of the game to watch. Very, very successful and just a terrific guy to boot. Yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun on Saturday. Uh, looking forward to watching it on CBS. Uh, and uh, it's been a great concept. And uh, what, what are the plans for year two? Well, we're, we're, uh, we're going through the process right now. I mean, once we kind of get a chance to uh, push back and take a deep breath once the, this weekend is over, um, uh, you know, we're going to start marinating on a number of different things. You, know, you go through your typical SWOT analysis and figure out what you did right, where you can improve things, um, and what we're going to do. But we're going to have to have those conversations about what arenas, and I think we're, we're starting to move forward uh, for next year because – a lot of these rinks get booked up well in advance, as you know. So, you know, what arenas we're going to be in, uh, how many of the players uh, from this year do we think are going to be viable to be able to return with us, and then we got to start to tap into, you know, new talent. And the nice thing, Ken, because of the way we've been able to deliver this season, both on TV as well as a competitive product on the ice, we're starting to have a lot of stuff bubble up in the hockey community. And there's a lot of players, a lot of great-name players that are asking about how do we get involved, how do we, how do we join, how do we, how, do we, how do we play in three ice. And we'd love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, you've, and you're going to be on the main network. You've been on CBS Sports Network throughout the season. Now to be on the actual CBS, how big is that for the for the uh, for Three Ice? Well, it's huge. Um, you know, we had great uh, global coverage first year out of the box, which is usually unusual. I mean, as you pointed out, over the first eight weeks of the regular season, we're on CBS Sportsnet. Um, you know, which is their cable side of the equation for CBS, for Big CBS. We're now moving over to Big CBS Network. Now, that's going to open us up to 123 million homes nationally, so that's great exposure. 
We've got TSN in Canada. We have RDS in French-speaking Canada, who have been with us all year long. And then we're also on ESPN International uh, all season long uh, in 180 different countries around the globe. And you know hockey is uh, very well received, you know, particularly in Europe uh, and uh, in, in Russia and what have you. So, And even in, in China now. And so we're really excited about the coverage that we've got. And this is just, a, you know, this is the cherry on the cake, if you will. Uh, the icing's on, icing on the cake with uh, CBS, big CBS this weekend. Well, it's been a great month of hockey here in August between uh, your uh, championship coming up on Saturday. The World Juniors taking place right now, of course, from, uh, that was postponed from Christmas time. And then later this month, the Women's uh, World Championships. So August has been a great month for hockey. Yeah, you know, I see a lot of people on social media complaining about, you know, no hockey, can't wait till it comes back. And I know training camp's around the corner here now. It's September emerging. But you know what? When we put this thing together, uh, we had lots of talks with the folks at the NHL, and they said, listen, man, we love you guys. You're additive. We love it's more hockey. And, you know, we sign on after the Stanley Cup in a, in a perfect world, uh, and we give people an opportunity to watch some good puck uh, over the summer months, June, July, and August, and we like that. We like that fit. Well, Steve, appreciate a few minutes. Uh, good luck with the, the uh, championship round on Saturday, and uh, uh, great catching up with you. Yeah, thanks so much, Ken. It's always a pleasure. All right, that's Steve Baker. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. There are no words to describe it. The isolation the boredom, the loneliness. If you're wondering where your teenage son or daughter's spirit went, you're hardly alone. The past year has been devastating, especially for them. But here's the good news. They might just find it again, playing high school sports. Workouts that stimulate, teammates and coaches that care, the sense of belonging so many of us have been missing lately. That's what school sports are all about. The sense of achievement is real, and the camaraderie is hard to beat. Coping with uncertainty is difficult, but school sports can help the teenagers in your family start feeling like themselves again. Encourage them to give it a try. High school sports, it's so much more than a game. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Back to wrap up the podcast. The week 24 winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest was Pat Comley of Schenectady. Pat wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Pat. The VIP winner was me. I scored 30 points to expand my lead. Jerry Peel of Franken Sons Auto Body was second with 25 points. I'll announce the winner of the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports 
on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Mike McAdam and Steve Baker for being on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports. <laughs>